Good afternoon, I'm your host Jimmy Kim and you're watching the greatest show on the planet, The Jimmy Kim Show. To the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a very exciting episode today. I'm interviewing former three-term Houston City Council member and former three-term Harris County Treasurer, Orlando Sanchez. And that's an incredible amount of leadership. Here's why. Houston, as you may or may not know, it's one of the largest cities in the United States. And last time I checked, Orlando, it's fourth. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And then Harris County, it's actually the third largest county in the country. So that's a tremendous amount of constituents that this incredible person sitting right next to me had to represent. So we're going to go ahead and start. Orlando, go ahead, and, go ahead and give the audience an introduction of, yeah, who are you? Well, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I immigrated to this country in 1962. I left a communist country uh, in 1959, right. and we moved, actually were exiled in Caracas, Venezuela, and then my father was hired as a professional broadcaster oh. in Houston in 1962. So I arrived here May 14th, 1962. Wow. So this is this is in your blood doing this kind of stuff, the radio stuff, because your dad was a broadcaster. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I kind of grew up around radio stations. Yeah. No, I see. That's yeah. That's why even even up till now, you're doing a show. Yeah. So, yeah. It's in your blood somewhere. And then your family. Well, y'all immigrated from Cuba. Is that correct? Correct. I was born okay. in Havana. Oh, OK. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And you definitely have made the most of <laughs> the opportunity that you've been given here well, versus that. what you had or would have had in in a communist country oh there's no doubt yeah um you know i mean this is the greatest country in the world that you can leave a communist country and get an education um and uh, uh you know move on to the university and and serve in the military and then have the honor of being elected as an immigrant uh only happens in america i tell people all the time try to go become mayor of mexico city good luck you know, oh, yeah. Try to go right. run for Buenos Aires City Council. Good luck, you right. know, if you're not a native. But in the United States, in America, everybody has an opportunity. Right, as long as they have that, that drive and the heart. Yeah, and you're prepared. You know, it's right. a very competitive uh, right. system, but I think that's what makes us really I impressive is that the cream does rise to the top. Yes, I agree. That even when people uh, complain about uh, elections getting too competitive and too many candidates jumping in, I say, hey, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. may the best win. All right. That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always kind of an interesting take that's that, that, I'm, that's that I've had on it. That's why you have 24, you know, football teams and 30-something baseball teams will create a little competition. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And I've, like I said, me personally, I've always liked the, the a competitive field rather yeah. than just one person. Right. Because then you don't have any selection. Right. And then they don't have to work as hard, right, Orlando? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've been in a battleground before. Oh, yeah. yeah. In many different, you know, aspe aspects of life, especially the political one, as we're going to go into that more here yeah. uh, in a bit. So tell me more about and you are a Air Force veteran, correct? I am. Yeah, thank you for your service, Orlando. Thanks. I've never actually told you that in person, so yeah, I wanted to tell you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And so tell us more about that. Yeah, so when I was uh in high school, um I Always loved uh, flying because of our proximity here in Houston to NASA. Right. You know, most NASA astronauts um, are military pilots. So I took a lot of interest in the military and uh, decided to join the Air Force right after high school. And uh, so, yeah, I served for two years active duty, and then I came back to Houston and served with what's known as the Texas Air National Guard, which is a sort of the state Air Force. I mean, it right. is the Air Force, but uh, it's... The commander-in-chief is the governor, 
versus the President of the United States as the Commander-in-Chief of the United States Military Forces. Right. Uh, so I served six years there. So about eight years I served in the Air Force. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. And the yeah. skills were easily transferable from well, one, one you know, area the to the other. military teaches you, you know, discipline and leadership. And so right. those are good skills to learn, you know, <laughs> for young people <laughs> right, right after high school. Oh, yeah, know? absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. it's and great. Because it's benefited you probably throughout your career. Absolutely. Right? You yeah, know, the discipline you get and the, the punctuality. I tell people all the time, you know, uh, the Air Force will give you coordinates and time. So if they, if you're off by one degree on the coordinates, and 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 they say drop the ordinance at 1405, and you drop it at 1410, you're a little late. Oh yeah. So you know it's it, it teaches you uh, the the importance of discipline and teamwork and uh, you know uh, following the chain of command, which is important in leadership. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of good skills. Yeah, punctuality, as you said, and learning Most how to important. dress sharply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, shine your boots and make yeah. sure your uniform is pressed and sharp every day. Yeah, get yeah. your hair cut. Oh, yeah, get your hair Go cut. Go shave. Yeah. Hey, you know, important things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of adolescents actually right now would benefit tremendously from that kind of training. I've always agree? admired the uh, yeah. Israelis. The Israelis uh, compel everyone to serve two years in the IDF. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And uh, I've always thought it would be uh, beneficial to compel young people to serve two years active duty. Um, I think everybody ought to go through boot camp in the military. Yeah, maybe that would. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people out there wouldn't like to hear that, but uh, in the long run, yeah, it would benefit them greatly. It sure would. Yeah, they actually they do that in South Korea as well. There's Good. a mandatory military service for men only, though. Yeah. Yeah, for four years, I believe. And yeah, it benefits them, you know, for the rest of their lives. Yeah, so, yeah that would be an entertaining uh, idea to just, you know, start sure having right. discussions about. Like I said, some people would like it. Some people may not. But it's interesting because at that age, in that adolescent's life, they may not want to do it. But then they may, they may appreciate it later. Does that well, make sense what I'm saying? Do it, but some yeah. of them may need it. Well, some of them may need it. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's young people that are very focused. For example, there's sure. young people that are um, into science and they know that they want to study biology and then they want to know, <clears throat> then they know that they're going to go on to medical school or some kind of research. That's fine. They have a plan. But there are a lot of young people that don't have a plan. And, that is um, true. You know, yeah. and, and lack a little bit of discipline. So I think that the military and the military basic training offers that sort of focus on the important issues. You know, I once heard... Um, and our, uh, a Navy admiral who, uh, by the way, became the head of uh, the University of Texas. And uh, he, he says, you know, uh, it's important to get up and make your bed every day because it's, you know, discipline and it gives you your first sense of accomplishment. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So yeah. uh, that was Admiral McRaven, as you know, was uh, led the forces in Afghanistan, the Middle East, uh, and hunting down uh, Osama bin Laden, and McRaven became uh, the, um, the the president of the University of Texas. But he gave a great speech. He was invited to talk to the graduates uh, in a commencement speech, and it's online if you ever want to watch it. But he said, "Start your day off by making your bed." It's a sense of discipline and gives you a sense of accomplishment, and that's what the military does. It teaches you basic discipline, basic um, goals, uh, and it's important. Yeah, I think I've actually seen that speech before. Yes, yeah, it's very, very inspirational. Yeah, yeah, and those small those small wins actually do make a difference. Yeah, 
Is so it? I've followed him quite a bit, you know. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. McRaven is an interesting fellow. In fact, he was on um, uh, Firing Line, which is a program um, that's been around for a long, long time. Margaret Hoover is now the host, and it appears on PBS. And this is also online if anyone's interested. But Margaret Hoover asked General McRaven, um, what is the most significant threat uh, facing the United States. And without skipping a beat, Jimmy, he said uh, K through 12 education in the United States. And I thought, you know, I've never heard somebody uh, talk about that being a threat, but it is. And so it was a great comment. He's a very astute man. Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even I-, I see that as a problem on the horizon, too. Yep. So, yeah. The Well, where I feel like we're lacking is that public education in some ways, doesn't prepare our kids for the real world to be successful out here? Well, uh, it's interesting what's happened to education. I mean, we've always lamented uh, the the uh, education system of late, but it really has, in my opinion, declined of late. You know, public education is, a lot of people you know, don't want to talk about socialism, but that is probably the highest form of socialism practiced in the United States. Because you use public money that you take from someone to create an opportunity for everybody. So, you know, public education is socialism, but... um, I never saw it that way, but yeah, you're right. Well, it is. It's just like, you know, uh, you pay for it, and it's free to everybody Hmm. that wants to take advantage of it. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, it is is failing, uh, in especially in urban areas in America. Uh, You look at the city of Houston, where you and I live. Right. The Houston Independent School District, in my opinion, and I've held press conferences on this, is generally an abject failure. You, oh know, you my have uh, thousands and thousands yeah. of young Hispanics, for example, because the Hispanic population, because we have a high immigrant population, right. and the Hispanic is a overwhelming majority of the population of Houston and the Houston School District, the, the kids are failing. The schools are failing. Um, and, and, and so that's a problem. That's a problem for Texas. That's a problem for the taxpayer. And it's certainly a problem for the kids. And it's a problem for future industry coming to Texas. Yes. You know, Jimmy, because when you look at your tax bill, you know, in the United States and here in Harris County in Houston, where we live, you know, the city of Houston taxes you, the county taxes you, the hospital district taxes you, the port of Houston taxes you. But your biggest tax bill is the school district. And uh, it wasn't too long ago, uh, last last year, many officials in the Houston Independent School District were indicted uh, for misappropriating millions of dollars. I mean, it's a shame. And so now you have failing schools, you have kids dropping out, you have the public officials, uh, you know, essentially. Corruption. Corruption, stealing millions. I think it was like $9 million of, of public money. I mean, it's just unacceptable. And unfortunately, and that is why we get into the issue of the importance of voting. Oh right, yeah. Because yeah. the voters so, the essentially voters voted those people up. in. Yeah, right. they need to. They need to tell leaders we're not putting up with that. Right. Well, did that happen in HISD? Yes, it did. Okay, just yeah. to clarify. Yeah. yeah, I remember when that. That was really big news. Yeah. And how many? How long ago was that? Well, it was la- la- the the FBI investigation lasted for com- some time. This okay. has been going on for a while. But the the you know typically the the the, the FBI investigate these cases, and they it takes a long time to do the. Uh, build up the case and so i'm sure they were hot on the trail 
of the malfeasance over at the school board uh, probably right. several years ago, but the indictments, I think, came down last year. And several oh, okay. people have pled out in federal court, but others are uh, being tried. Okay. Well, I'm glad they're being held accountable for what they do. As they they should, certainly should as be. As they should be. Yeah, so my question is, has the educational, I guess, rates of success and failure, has that been consistent uh, even from the time when you were a Houston City Council member? It's, it's been, has it been going down? Is I'm talking the, about like overall like grade levels, a student success, because you, you mentioned that it has been failing. So has it been steadily declining even since the time you were in office up till right now? Yeah, in my opinion, I mean, okay. you know, I served on the Houston City Council with, I, I believe, the first Asian um, uh, elected chief of Chinese descent, uh, Martha Wong. Okay, and I know uh, Dr. Right. Martha Wong right. um, was not only a city councilwoman, but also a state representative. Right. Uh, but prior to her election and involvement in public office, Martha was a school principal. And uh, oh. I think if, uh, and, and the former Houston uh, superintendent, Billy Reagan, from many, many years ago, everybody, everybody that I know that has a passion for education has been talking about the decline in the quality of public education. Hmm. Uh, I'm a firm believer in public education. I went uh, as an immigrant. I came to the United States. I started school at a public school, and I eventually graduated from a public school. Um, I think a public education is important for democracy. Yes, <clears throat> but unfortunately, uh, it's become the education system, as you know, Jimmy, as someone who follows politics very closely, uh, has become too politicized. Um, people want to teach agendas and not the basics. You know, the basics are math, arithmetic, reading, right. writing, science, biology, chemistry. Yes. Uh, well, you know, there's a movement in this country by what I consider to be, you know, more of the, of the, of the socialist, if you will. That's yes. what I call them. To engineer what is being taught in schools. And what's being taught in schools <clears throat> is not sufficient for students to comp compete in the global economy in the changing world of technology. You know, the economy changes at a faster pace now than it ever has because of technology. Absolutely. And so yeah. if kids aren't prepared, uh, we as a country fall behind. And so uh, that's why you see education issues now becoming so important where parents will say, don't indoctrinate, educate my children. But there's such a movement in this country now to indoctrinate. Uh, and so... We, 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 all of us together, need to fight back to make sure that our children are being educated with our tax dollars. Right. It's funny because I'm a millennial, Orlando, and it's even hard for me to keep up with the te technology that's happening right. nowadays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I grew up in this stuff. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> it's like so fast. I'm an old fossil, and it's like, you know, my God, I can't believe that, uh, that you know, just, the, you know, even with currency, I mean, you know, this whole fascinating new uh, Crypto. cryptocurrency yeah. is just yeah. fascinating to me and how right. people try to reinvent things and, you know, uh, self-driving automobiles. And, you know, I mean, I know it's kind of old technology, but, you know, I'm a big hiker. I like the outdoors. And in the in the old days, Jimmy, when we were hiking in the backcountry, we used to have to take uh, ge geological surveys uh, by U.S. Uh, geological uh, uh, Department of whatever they do. They have these. That are, like, published. Yes. Right. So And we'd have to take a compass. Now, mm. with your watch or your phone, <laughs> you get, you know, right. you get your, your coordinates because of GPS. Yeah. I mean, it's just fascinating. <laughs> I mean, who'd have ever thought, right, that you, your, your, your little phone would tell you exactly where you are on a global map?
Right, right. It's so, incredible. It is. I do. I try my best to. Uh, I, I like to find balance, Orlando. That's actually uh, one of the things even I do on my show is I always bring the guest into the studio because mm. the chemistry is better mm. and I've, the, the quality of the interview is higher than just a remote one. Uh, but at the same time, I do, embrace, I, I do embrace the new technology as well because I, I feel like I have to keep up because if not, I'm going to get left in the dust too. So I, I do try to keep up with, with what's going on and I think because I think that's very important. Do you agree with that, Orlando? Absolutely, and yeah. that's why education is so important. I think every child, it's a disservice to children. It's a disservice to our society if we don't provide the best education and give the kids the best opportunity to compete in the global economy or to pursue their dreams. Um, if, if you put them in a failing school, uh, then, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because – the the you know we're competing in a global economy i mean you know yes. when i was growing up when i first came to america i mean if you wanted to buy an automobile you went to you went to general motors to ford or to you know chrysler i mean That's that it. was it yeah and now you know it's like kia and toyota and you know ferrari if you can afford it or the british are making automobiles uh, you know now you have right. electronic cars and tesla and you have you know combustion engines and uh, hybrid engines and so it just t tells you about how quickly technology is moving and kids have to be prepared to participate yes so what do you think are some of the solutions to this this crisis that we're having with educations and our kids not uh, being as competitive on a global scale is yeah. it readjustment of curriculum uh, maybe promoting education more the importance of it yeah you know um I mean, education, pedagogy is nothing new. I mean, you want to teach children the basics, yes. right? So they have to be able to do some mathematics. Yes. Uh, they have to be able to read so they can, you know, function in the world. Absolutely. And then you got to give them different avenues and options of whether, you know, that they're going to go in the scientific field, they're going to be creative, they're going to be artists or, or authors, uh, they're going to be... Uh, scientists or pilots, uh, physicians, uh, psychologists. So you've got to expose kids, and then you have to bring in some kind of mentorship program. Um, but, you know, it, it, essentially a core curriculum will always be essential for the education of the young. Uh, that's never changed, and it's, it's never going to change. I mean, you've got to teach, you know, the basics, the ABCs. Yes. And if you yeah, don't I agree. Understand the we alphabet, need to go backwards a little bit. Yeah, if you don't understand the alphabet... <laughs> <laughs> Or the numerical system or the decimal system. I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have a tough time in life. So, you know, the basics are always the same. Then, of course, you expose kids to the different technologies and different opportunities in the world. I mean, it's, it's fascinating um, to, 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 to be exposed to all that. And I think kids deserve that. They, that's, that's probably the biggest investment we can make is to, to not just our children, you know, our bloodline, but to be worried about our society. I, I yes. worry about, I think it's very unfair that we have failing schools in Houston in ethnic areas of town. In the right. African-American community, you know, for example, um, a school that Barbara Jordan went to. Barbara Jordan was a historic figure that went to the university, uh, Texas Southern University, and earned her law degree, was uh, active in the civil rights movement and became uh, not only one of the world's most articulate speakers, but one of the best debaters, uh, was elected to Congress. Uh, you know, the, her alma mater, her high school, is a failing school. 
And that's, a, that's an injustice that the kids that are subjected to those schools have to be failed like that. And, and that's the responsibility not only of the school board trustees and, and, and management at the, at the school districts, but at the more basic level, Jimmy, you know that the, the, the least participated in elections are school board elections. Very few people decide who's going to go to the school board to represent you for your children's future. So if you ask about changing, how do we change it? I think that parents need to get more involved in the public policy aspect of public education. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, right before the interview, Orlando, I was telling you about one of the reasons for me doing this show is to provide you know mentorship if there's adolescents watching. Hey, that's why we share the successful stories from individuals like yourself yeah. so that kids can be inspired. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, I mean, I was inspired early on when I came to the United States. You know, we were very close to some friends from Venezuela, and some of them were cardiologists. I remember, this has always stuck with me, Jimmy, and some of the Venezuelan cardiologists came to Houston, and they would stay with us because, you know, they were friends of my family. And uh, they were doing fellowships at, uh, at the Texas Heart Institute at the time. As you know, Houston right. was very much uh, in the pioneering aspect of heart transplantation, and so... Houston has been known as not only physically the world's largest medical center, but also, you know, now it's cancer research and all kinds of research. But um, so I was inspired by physicians and, and the whole technology of transplantation to me was interesting. Then I was inspired by friends that we had at NASA, you know, and right. the whole concept of flying. Oh, yeah, I like that too. You know, when they came, <laughs> when they came up with a Saturn V rocket, the most powerful rocket that propelled men to the moon, you know, that was fascinating to me. So, yeah, it's important to have children exposed uh, and, 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 you know, inspired, find a, inspired and find yeah, a, a mentor in life, yeah. Next, Orlando, let's go backwards a bit. And so tell us about your tenure at Houston City Council. Well, which uh, uh, district were you? I was at large. Oh, you were at large? Yeah. Okay. So, so you're representing the whole city of Houston. Right. So at the time, and it's still similarly arranged. Okay. Houston has five at large positions, meaning they have no districts. So right. they, yeah, uh, they represent everybody. Over the years, everybody was elected at large in previous years. You're talking about going back. Uh, but um, what happened was that minority communities could not elect uh, representatives of their choosing. So fe several federal lawsuits, particularly after the civil rights um, movement and civil rights legislation and the Voting Rights Act, started filing lawsuits in federal court demanding that districts be drawn so that communities of interest could elect uh, folks from their community. Uh, so. Houston, at the time when I served, there were nine district council members and there were five at-large members. Then there was a mayor of the city that was elected by everybody, and there was a city controller that was elected by everybody. I became one of the at-large members. Yes. I was elected in 1995. I do believe that, you know, and I hate to say this, you know, the first African-American, the first Hispanic, the first Korean, it does, you know, but... <laughs> it but is we, what it is. It is what it is, and we do yes. take a little pride in it. I'm the first Hispanic immigrant ever elected citywide in Houston, yeah. and the first Hispanic immigrant ever elected countywide in Harris County. Wow. But it, but it, but it talks uh, more to uh, how receptive Houston is, how yes. willing to help people Houston is. You know, not only are we a, t a community of massive amounts of immigrants from every corner oh, of the yeah, world. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because I remember um, 
you know, in the 60s when the Cubans fled, I mean, I was there was a small Cuban uh, exile community here. But then I remember after the fall of Saigon, you know, we had thousands and thousands of Vietnamese came here. And, um, you know, uh, then we had waves of uh, Somalis here in Houston. And then, you know, the wave of, uh, of uh, the Indian community that's come to southwest Houston. So, and, and the beauty of Houston is it gives you an opportunity. The, the, the people of Houston will elect you if you're, you know, talking the right issues. So I had the honor of being able to represent about 1.7 million Houstonians for six years. And now the population of Houston has almost doubled, would you say? Well, right not now? the population of Houston, but I would say the larger metro area, including okay. the suburbs and the exurbs. Because, you know, yes. when people think of Houston now, <laughs> you think of going all the way down south to Waller County. You think about going all the way up to the Woodlands and to right. past Montgomery County, almost into Walker County uh, or Waller County to, to the west. Um I mean, it's a massive metro area. Yes. And so we're talking about potentially upwards of 14 million people. I mean, there are bigger cities in the world. You know, I mean, Mexico City, 27 million plus. Right. But Houston is, when you look at those numbers, Jimmy, and you look at the diversity of nationalities and ethnicities and race, it's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing community. Agreed. It's completely a melting pot, and I like it. Yeah. Because I get to try each of every food, too. When what? I go look for a restaurant, when I want to find something new, <laughs> you no, can find it. No, I mean, it's a, it, it is absolutely amazing. And this yeah. is what I tell everybody. Um, that's what continues to make America the greatest country in the world. And I say yes. that with a lot of pride because anybody can come here. You're of Korean descent. I'm yes. of Cuban descent. I have friends that are from Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, Guatemala, Russian friends. My daughter went to an international school. If, if you're a naturalized United States citizen, you know, you're covered under the same constitution that everybody's covered under. You know, the same constitutional guarantees and the Bill of Rights covers you and your family, as does mine, as the, you know, fifth generation Texan. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes, I totally yes. agree. Yeah. yeah, love the diversity here. I yep. embrace it. Uh, just like yourself, I have friends from all different backgrounds, ethnicities. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's truly something I cherish here. You know, I was yeah. watching the Super Bowl last night and you know, what a, what a, what a, you know, whether you like rap or not or you know, you you, you would have preferred country music or a symphony or, you know, I like the, all those. <laughs> the, 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 you knew I was going to say that. Yeah, the, the 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 fact is that the world was is watching and it was a display of, uh, of American, you know, talent, ingenuity, entertainment. Uh, and I, I just find that a absolutely fascinating. Uh, as compared, for example, uh, I've, been, I've been watching a little bit uh, the Olympics, you know, but I, I keep hearing about how China has been reported that they are uh, disrespecting and condemning some of the Chinese-American, you know, as traitors, mm. you know. Uh, it's just... The, 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 you know, uh, we celebrate the Chinese, the Taiwanese, the Koreans, the Cubans, the Hispanics, oh, yeah. the African Americans. Yeah. You know, we're, we're just Americans. We love, we, we just love who we are. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and 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 our people. And I know a lot of people say, uh, you know, diversity, but I, I think it's important, and it's just it's a testament to the greatness of America yes. that we're all Americans. We all share in this great experiment of freedom and liberty and constitutional government and being to elect being able to elect our representatives and change you know change the presidents and uh without 
you know, too much tumult and violence. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last one was kind of crazy, but hey. Yeah. yeah. But but it's not the first time it's happened. You know, That's I was true. interviewed I was interviewed by a media that wanted to know, well, you know, uh, because some people want to b- blame the former President Trump for the insurrection or the disruption or the riot, whatever you want to call it, at the Capitol. But I reminded my friends in the media, which are pretty much leftists, <laughs> that it's not the first time that there has been violence at the Capitol. In fact, oh, yeah. people yeah. forget that Bill Ayers, who hosted a reception for President, uh, then-candidate Barack Obama, mm-hmm. actually bombed federal facilities. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Uh, So the Weather Underground was a leftist, violent organization that bombed police headquarters, bombed the U.S. Senate, uh, was involved in in killings. And uh, so, yes, has there been violence, a history of violence at the U.S. Capitol for many decades? Is it just from the right? Nope. The left is always engaged in violent assaults on the Capitol. So this is nothing new. We don't support it. We don't promote it. We don't approve of it. And that's why we have a criminal code. And yes. every will be, everyone will be prosecuted under a democratically created criminal code. Yes, I, I agree with you completely on that as well. Yeah. I mean, I support individuals' right to protest, but violence is never a good thing. Correct. And there, but there's a big distinction between those two. Because people no get those confused. Yeah. They think violence is protesting. Well, I guess it is in some sort of manner, but violence is never pretty. But uh, protesting is a, is a great thing. What, whether it's coming from the left or the right or the middle, but yeah. just having a voice that's yeah. important. Yeah. And I mean, Jimmy, I grew up in an era where um, I am a keen student and I mean, what I mean by student is I'm fascinated by the historic nature of the civil rights movement, where, as you know, uh, this country, as had many other countries, imported slaves from Africa. Yes. And slavery was a institution in this country. Right. And I, beginning in the 50s, uh, watching the civil rights movement and being led by several people, but the most prominent leader of the civil rights movement, as you know, was Martin Luther King, a graduate of theology from Boston University where he received his Ph.D., and a man who preached nonviolence. He never approved of or engaged in any violent behavior. He used two fascinating instruments to call out the institutional slavery in this country and the institutional racism that African Americans were suffering under. And that was the U.S. Constitution and the Bible. And it's just fascinating to watch his whole movement. And he ended up dying violently, of course, because he was assassinated. And, uh, but, you know, that's right. I think that it's a little slower uh, but it's certainly more meaningful when you exercise your protest in a peaceful manner rather than a violent manner. Yes, because that escalates very quickly. Yeah. To, I, I, you know. I mean, yes, there are, there are instances uh, that, you know, humanity becomes so frustrated that they may have to resort to violence. In fact, if you've read the Declaration of Independence of the United States, it says, you know, when the ends of government don't suit us, uh, it's our responsibility. It says, indeed, our our duty to overthrow the government. 
that's why yeah. we have the and second so this amendment. Is why, this is why Congress right. needs to pay attention to yeah. what's going on and be more, you know, have their finger on the pulse of America and start addressing the issues that are facing Americans. Yeah, and it's, I understand completely where you're coming from on that, Orlando, because, I mean, our nation was essentially founded by treasonish, I guess, British Americans. <laughs> British. They were, yeah, yeah, they were British, essentially. Yeah. But they rebelled against their government, and that's why we're here. <laughs> I think people lose sight of that. Correct. And and there was a little violence where, a lot you of know, violence. in fact, they had built yeah. the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., and if, in fact— there are areas of the Capitol that you go to and some of the stairwells, you can still see the bullet dings in the stairwell in the stone that the British were firing against the uh, the, oh, the, yeah. the rebels, yeah. so to speak. So, yeah. They're patriots for, for us. Yeah. Because we're here only because of their sacrifice. Correct. Yeah. Well, um, we're here because of the sacrifice of many people that have decided to fight and bleed for this country. Yes. And for yes. the world, for liberty. You know, yes. I'm always fascinated, speaking of that— uh, we're, we're one of the countries that, fortunately, we've won many wars, and, and, and our real estate never increases. Oh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that's <laughs> profound. Know, we, yeah. we beat the Third Reich. We beat, you know, the, the, the imperialist uh, Japanese at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't annex their property. Uh, we didn't annex any part. I mean, we had some treaties where we had some military operations for NATO purposes, but we've never increased our real estate. Hmm. We've never we've never stolen their gold. We've never stolen their silver. We've never stolen their art. We never annexed them. Uh, the United States has always gone in, uh, not always correctly, but to defend freedom and liberty and, uh, and to defend uh, the human dignity. Uh, we're not always, you know— on, uh, sometimes we don't make the right decision in what theaters we go into. But I'm always amazed and fascinated that my country has never increased its real estate because of winning a battle. Yeah, that's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Next, Orlando, let's let's move on. Let's go to your—so briefly, give us a summary of your career as Harris County Treasurer. And you were there for three elected terms, is that correct? Yeah, uh, Harris County Treasury— uh, basically is a uh, a financial function of the county. Um, uh, The Constitution of the state of Texas requires that 254 counties be operated in the same fashion, meaning they have a commissioner's court, which they're all the same across the state of Texas. You have the Harris, the commissioner, I mean the judge, the Harris County judge. They don't have judicial functions, but it's an old title that they use judge. And it sounds cool. Yeah, and they, at one point, they did have some uh, uh, judicial responsibilities. And then there are four commissioners. Every county in Texas is fl- split into precinct one, two, three, and four. And then every county has to have a county clerk, a district clerk, county treasurer. Now, there's some that are small and, 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 and don't have those positions. So the, the treasury is a financial position, and it um, oversees the, fun- uh, the, the monetary functions of this county. And so I got elected to that position for 12 years. That's a long time, 12 years now. Did you enjoy that, that role? I did. Okay. I did. Um, and, and I will say, Jimmy, that uh, in, in when I was there, uh, Harris County was in the black, meaning we weren't in the red. We weren't in debt. We had quit doing what's called tax anticipation notes, which is where you borrow money because you run out of money at the end of the year. Um, and from a fiscal perspective, the county was in good shape. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, not only are not we're not in as good a shape financially, but also from a criminal justice aspect in Harris County, we've got some some problems. Okay, so they're not 
when you left, they're not as in good shape right now. That's what you're saying. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. And remember, one of the things, as you know, let's 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 not beat around the bush. The leadership at the county changed from Republican to Democrat. Right. And one of the first things that the new Democrat majority in Harris County tried to do was to increase property taxes to the maximum allowed oh. by law. Oh my goodness! The only reason that didn't happen, Jimmy, is because, as you may recall, two of the commissioners, uh, two of the Republican commissioners, walked out and broke the quorum, so they could not. Uh, oh, I increase. saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a big money grab. Uh, and, and so, yeah, elections have consequences, and there is a big difference between conservative leadership and then a more liberal leadership. Yeah, I mean, in regards to that, Orlando, all I'm going to say is it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. Like, who really wants higher taxes? No one. Yeah, that's it's not a partisan issue. I don't know why it's become that. It kind of boggles my mind. But all I'm going to say is uh, we mentioned this earlier, Orlando. Early voting has started today. Correct. Valentine's so, Day. So happy Valentine's Day. Oh, happy Valentine's Day as well to all the voters or to, all the, to, audience, to the audience out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the start of early voting for the um, right. primaries, which yes. in our country, as you know, in our city, in our county, in our state, uh, the two parties put up all kinds of candidates. And then the voters, whether you're a Republican, you vote in the Republican primary or the Democrats, you vote in the Democratic primary. You select what candidate will represent your party in the general elections in November. Yes. Yeah. Couldn't have said it any better. Mm. And I already voted. Orlando, did you vote? This morning? Yeah, I did. Before I no, did actually, all this for, stuff. <laughs> for some reason, I had several uh, interviews this morning because people want to highlight that the election has started. So, no, I'll vote this afternoon, Jimmy. Gotcha. I, I know you will. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever missed a primary. Good. Yeah. yeah. So you're consistent. You're I'm very a consistent. Yeah. yeah. You exercise your civic duty, as I do, too. Right. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. If we don't vote, I mean, your voice is never heard. Not only that, but you'll be led by others. Oh, that's true. Rather yeah. than lead. It's a waste. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, why why did you decide to get into, why did you decide to join the military and then run for public office as an elected official? Was there some compelling reason for you to do that? Well, I mean, I, I get that question a lot, um, and I think that this is probably, you know, you never, I mean, unless you're like a physician, right, and your dad was a doctor and you've always wanted to be a doctor, you've had that vision since you were seven years old. Yes. For me, the inf um, you know, I recognize that I came from a communist country where liberties don't exist, where people are beaten for being gay or opposing the government. Um, or for practicing their religion. Um, there, there, you know, there, there's no freedom to elect a democratic government in Cuba, for example. You're either a Marxist socialist or you end up in prison. Right. You do what the government tells you. Right. Even up till now, right? Of course. Same. Yeah. I mean, you know, you saw the movement a couple of months ago. And, yeah, and, I saw and that. The, and the police are out there beating yeah. young people that want to fight for democracy. So coming from a communist country, I was grateful to be in the United States. I was grateful that my parents could live in freedom and liberty. I was grateful that I received an education at the expense of the taxpayers. And I've always had this sense of duty to give back. Um, so I have volunteered in many things. I was a volunteer EMT in an ambulance. I, I was didn't a know that. I was a volunteer Little League coach. Uh, I volunteered for the Air Force and the Texas Air National Guard. I volunteered to be president of my civic club. I volunteered to create a neighborhood watch program in my neighborhood. 
so I've always been involved civically. Yes. Uh, when I came to Houston, as you know, my father was brought to Houston by the former mayor and former county judge, a man by the name of Roy Hoffines, who became the owner of the professional baseball team, the Colt 45s, who became the Houston Astros. Oh, okay. So I grew up with the Hoffines family. They were very political. Right. Yeah. So uh, that always fascinated me because I grew up in the Astrodome. And so Judge, we always called him Judge, Judge Roy Hoffines as the owner of the Houston Astros would invite people like Lyndon Johnson, uh, you know, wow. John Conley to, to ball games. They had a suite uh, uh, above the scoreboard. Yeah. And uh, so, so I got to meet county commissioners and mayors. I remember Louis Welch, when they had uh, people come in from Latin America, would ask my father to give the dignitaries a tour of the Astrodome. And Mayor Louis Welch would show up. And um, so I was always fascinated by the political process. And yeah. so that's how I got involved in the political process. I just, I got out of law school at the University of Houston. I uh, 1992 filed to run for state representative as the Republican nominee for a Texas House of Representatives seat, and then from there on, I stayed active in politics. So you were consistent as well. Yeah, you never uh, gave up. Never you, gave you, up. You, were you state rep too? No. Uh, that I, one I missed. Well, I, I okay. ran for state rep. Okay. I was defeated in a general election okay. in 1992, and uh, okay. so yeah, that was my first. My first sort of victory by default, I was the Republican nominee for a House district in, te in Texas in 1992. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was a baby at the time. So. Probably not even born. <laughs> barely, Orlando, Jimmy, barely. You're, you're still a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah look at that face. You're, you know, <laughs> oh, no, thank no you. wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell this to a lot of people, I'm an old soul because, I mean, I like talking about, you know, politics yeah. and, you know, yeah. business. No, and I whatnot. know you're very involved. I always see you all over town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What other uh, so what are some of the current projects you're working on right now? I know well, you have your your Texas Latino Conservatives show yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in twenty about 2015, 2016, 2017, Jimmy, I was following a man by the name of Murdoch, Professor Murdoch at Texas A and M, and he was a demographer. Still is a demographer. I think he's with the University of Texas in San Antonio now. Is that like? Topography, landscaping. Well, it's population. Oh, trends. population. Okay. Yeah, right. and demography. It, you know, demographics. Okay. Yeah. Got it. yeah, and and he was projecting the explosion of Hispanics in terms of the overall population in Texas. And as a longtime Republican, I watched as the Republican Party had become dominant in Texas. Yes. Because the election between Ann Richards and George W. Bush, that was the last time we elected a Democrat statewide. I noticed that, in my opinion, that the Republicans had taken their victories for granted. We got a little lazy. <clears throat> we didn't reach out to various communities. And uh, I said, if this trend continues, we're going to lose conservative leadership in Texas. So here comes 2018. And, you know, Harris County, we were electing all Republicans, county judge, the commissioners, you know, the district clerk, the county clerk, yes. the county treasurer, the sheriff. We were all Republicans. And then and then all of the courts, right, the state district courts, the state district criminal courts, the county courts at law. And what happened in 2018? That's we were swept out completely, swept out completely. And when you looked at the demographic changes in, in Harris County, you realized that what Professor Murdoch was talking about was true. 
and what I had predicted that we were going to be swept at some point happened. And so now we as Republicans in this state, while we still enjoy statewide victories, Jimmy, we have problems. Well, hear me tell you why we have problems. We've lost Harris County. We've lost Dallas County. We've lost Tarrant County. We've lost Bear County. We've lost Travis County. We've lost El Paso County. I just mentioned six of the largest counties in Texas. I wasn't aware of the other one. Yeah. yeah. So, so if we mm-hmm. continue that trend where that, by the way, is where the population growth is, it's in the urban areas, in the suburbs, and the exurbs. If we as conservatives don't start doing a better job reaching out to diverse communities, the red team, the Republicans, may be swept out of power in the state of Texas. The reason that I'm concerned about that, Jimmy, is because if we lose Texas as a red state, we won't be electing a conservative president in the near future. So there are a lot of things. So having seen that, I created what was called Texas Latino Conservatives. Yes. The Texas Latino Conservatives is a statewide general purpose political action committee where we raise money to support conservative Latinos running for office. And we also created what's called a 501c4 nonprofit organization by the same name, Texas Latino Conservatives, where we do general education on issues, on themes affecting the Hispanic community. So we're very involved in getting Hispanics engaged in the political process. Oh. So that's what we're doing now. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of those other two aspects because I just see the show sometimes. Yeah. But that's just the extension of all the, the other work. Yeah. Because yeah. I well, wasn't aware it was a PAC. Yeah. Well, oh, we have cool. a PAC and a nonprofit. And, yeah, and that's and awesome. We created what we call Leadership Latino now, which is a okay, series is of seminars across the state that we're doing. And we'll have classes of 30, 35, 40 young people that want right. to learn more about the political process. So we teach them how to speak to the press, how to file ethics commission reports, how to be a good candidate, how to dress, how to raise money, uh, everything that you want to know. It's basically campaign 101. Interesting. And so we've trained uh, close to 200, maybe over 200 young Hispanics across Texas. Uh, In 2018, I was down in Hidalgo County, which is the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. There was a young lady there by the name of Mayra Flores. Mm -hmm. She was the daughter of two Mexican immigrants, very shy but very conservative. And I encouraged her to go on social media and share her conservatism. And in short order, Jimmy, she had over 40,000 followers. And last year, she announced she was running for the 34th Congressional District in South Texas. Wow. So you, have so, a, you had a huge impact there. Yeah, we have a, yeah we are. Yeah. And we just elected a conservative Hispanic to the Midland City Council, uh, his, uh, Dan Corrales, uh, an attorney licensed to practice law in New York and Texas. Uh, we helped a young man, 18 years old, by the name of Roman Garcia, <laughs> get elected to the Kerrville City Council. Uh, we have Joel Castro. Uh, Alvin City Councilman and Mayor Pro Tem. So uh, our former executive director, uh, Michelle Gamboa, an Aggie. She was was born in Juarez, Mexico. A good conservative is running for the Longview City Council. Uh, Our former other uh, executive director, uh, Sonia Rivera, is now uh, with a conservative organization spreading the word. So what we're doing is, you know, it's, it's becoming sort of exponential, is training young Hispanics to go out. And I tell the Hispanics all the time, just vote your values. If your Absolutely. Va- if your values are to defund the police and eliminate police, there's a party for you. That's if your weird. values are to raise taxes so that, you know, you don't have enough money to feed your kids, there's a party for that. If your values are indoctrinating children and not educating them, 
there's a party for that. And if your values are to diminish your liberties so that you don't get to decide what to do in your life, but government does, there's a party for that. Right. So, but I don't think those are your values. So I always tell Hispanics, just vote your values. It's very simple. Yeah, I really like that because, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of those issues, they're not, they're not much like – they bring so much partisanship into those issues, mm. which they shouldn't be because mm -hmm. most of them are just common sense like, really? Yeah defund or completely get rid of the police probably not such a good idea no but it's weird because as you said one part of the spectrum supports that the other doesn't so it's like people need to know like the party platform they're voting for and then the candidates too right and and unfortunately uh, jimmy you know just as a, a an observer part of what we face as conservatives in this country uh, because you know at one time there were conservative democrats I, yes. for example, had a dear friend who was the former governor of Texas by the name of Mark White. Um, by all aspects, if I if I compared my values to Mark's, I mean, he was Same. he was like me, kind of middle of the road, kind of a fiscally conservative, advocated for good education, you know, strong criminal justice system. That's yeah, what most reasonable, people, yeah, yeah, very reasonable. But but the parties have become more divergent. I'm I'm sort of like in the middle on the conservative side, but. Um, one of the things that we face as conservatives in this country is, Jimmy, we, we, we don't get uh, equal coverage or fair coverage in the print media so, mm. or the news media. We've, we do here, Orlando. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we've lost the editorial boardrooms. Then you look at universities. They've been infiltrated by leftists. Public education systems mm. paid for by the taxpayers have been uh, infiltrated by the left. And then finally, because we're moved into the digital era, right, you have all these social media platforms like yes. Twitter and Google and Facebook. You know this. This is a big deal. It is. They yeah. squelch our views. If, if you use right. the word conservative in a post, the algorithms will diminish your post. That's a fact. Right. And, and, that sh and, and they're monolith monopolistic behemoths. We can't compete against them. You know, you want to get a word out, you either better do it through Twitter or Facebook or something. And then when a conservative wants to tweet something, you know, you got Twitter closing down the account of conservatives. You know, you don't have to agree with the speech, but the idea that Twitter, a private company, would close an account of the United States president or other members of Congress is absolutely ridiculous. A bit absurd. It yeah. is absurd. Thankfully, like I said here, we don't, we don't censor and we don't have a filter. So yeah. we, we want people to speak their minds here. Yeah. Yeah, that one hour flew by really fast. I told you, Orlando. We're done? Yeah, we're almost there. Okay. So we're gonna. I'm gonna just go on with some of the more important questions here, and then we're gonna wrap up here in a bit. Okay, Orlando. Yep. So, what is in the future for Orlando Sanchez? Because you're still young too. I know you said that I was young, but when I look at Orlando Sanchez, he's very healthy and young right now. You know, it's funny, Jimmy. Um, I have, I have, you know. I've come to the age where now I really want to start enjoying some of the things I do. So I have some passions. I love, okay. the, I love the outdoors. Oh, you do? Me I too. I like to hike the national parks. You know, I go to the Grand Canyon and to Big Bend and to Yellowstone. I love to fish. Uh, I love my motorcycle. I have a Harley, and I like to ride across America. I like to travel. And so I want to do more of the things that I want to do. But as I look around and I see, you know, cities in crises, um, you know, in 2018, when I was county treasurer, our crime rate in Harris County in the city of Houston was, was low, low. And then less than 24 months later, look at the – Houston has become the murder capital of the United States. 
Our education system is failing. They want to raise our taxes. Um, you know, our border's a disaster. Uh, and, and so I say, well, I can't. I have to stay involved. So the future for me, to answer your question, is continue to be involved in motivating and educating the largest growing ethnic community in Texas, which is Hispanics. But no, I don't focus just on Hispanics. I focus on all similar communities. There are uh, communities that I value, like the Vietnamese community, yes. same as Cubans. We lost our government to a leftist communist, you Regime. know, and we emigrated to the United States. Yes. Even in your country, you're always under the threat of North Korea. So, oh, yeah. you know, we value, yeah. you know, the Koreans that have come here. Um, the Indo-American community, you know, I mean, I'm always fascinated by their ingenuity and their steadfastness to work. The Chinese community here has done marvelous things. And so I really like to educate all immigrant communities. Do I speak Chinese or Mandarin? No, I can't speak Korean. You I'll teach know. you some words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I heard you speak Spanish earlier. It's fascinating. Oh, uh, thank you. But, um, yeah, my, my, so my job, Jimmy, as a lover of constitutional free governments and liberty, is to teach uh, immigrant communities and their children the responsibilities that we all have as citizens of the United States or even legal residents of the United States to be involved. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that you're going to stick around because yeah. the community needs leadership like from people like you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Thanks. run for office again someday? <laughs> never say never, but, but you know, people don't realize how hard it is to run for office. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've worked on several campaigns. All right, to wrap up the show, Orlando, three tips to be successful as an elected official. Well, uh, first of all, be in the game, right? You're not going to win a soccer match if you're not on the field. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to win a baseball game if you're in the dugout. Uh, you know, you've got to be on the horse if you're going to race quarter horses right. or thoroughbreds. Okay, so be on the field. Yeah. Uh, and then know the issues. Understand the community, right? Understand, uh, let's just say, if you want to run for city council, let's not talk about, you know, the conflicts of the Middle East because that's not what a city councilman does. Uh, but talk about infrastructure, talk about water quality, talk about garbage pickup, talk about, you know, the lack of EMS response time and police officers, the quality of the streets. So be aware of the issues that you're talking about. And finally, my third advice for anyone involved in public life, and I don't mean like elected office, but it could be civic club president or whatever. Yes. Is don't burn bridges. Uh, you know, um, um, people may not agree with you, Jimmy, but that's not a reason to hate them. And there's too much hate in America right now. You know, everything's become so stratified. The left yeah, yeah. can't. The left doesn't like the right. Right doesn't like the left. I I have I have as many Democrat liberal friends as I have conservative friends. I go to dinner with them. I have cocktails with them. We do um, hikes together. We go fishing together. I'm always fascinated. You know, some of my and I'll, I'll call them out. Chris Bell, who was a congressman and. Um, ran for governor of Texas, was a city councilman with me. Chris, I would consider to be a pretty strong Democrat. But we're, we're, we're friends. We they text, we along. talk. Yeah, yeah we yeah. have, you know, he has a YouTube channel. I kind of follow him. Um, like I said, former Governor Mark White, a Democrat. We and I were very good friends. Uh, so I have a lot of Democrat friends that, and we don't agree on public policy issues because one says, well, we need more tax money. And yes. I say, no, government is no. spending money, no more taxes. So we disagree with that. 
Right. But we're not going to fight about it. Yeah. I'm not going to insult them. So don't burn bridges in politics. All right. Thank you, Orlando. I got those locked in because I'm taking that advice, too, okay. <laughs> as well as the audience out there. Former Houston City Council member Orlando Sanchez and former Harris County Treasurer Thank you so much for coming to the studio for the show. It was awesome. And to the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next Monday, 